Father in heaven, you know each of us, you know what this last week has been like, you know the things that we're carrying, you know the, the struggles and the joys. And Lord, you don't ask us to leave those things at the door, but we pray that you would speak to us in the midst of them. As your word is opened, would it bear fruit in our lives by your Spirit? Amen. So you push open the colossal wooden door in front of you and you step out from the the cool, dank, moist darkness and you breathe in the fresh air. And there's the smell of warm sunshine. They're smiling, they're squinting, there's blinking into the brightness as you look around you. You're taking it all in, the beauty, the the magnificence, the light, the colours, the freedom. And over your shoulder, the door shuts and it clicks. And above the door is the word etched in black letters, prison. But you didn't know it was a prison. You do now, you see that now, now that that life has gone now, and so now it's a new beginning, a new dawn, a a new life. Everything changes, everything changes from here on in. The door is shut behind you and you are free. You are outside. And as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, Paul says, number 5 verse 1, it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. In one sense, I think the key verse of the letter, but what do we mean by freedom? For the world's definition of freedom is that you are able to do what you want to do when you want to do it. It's a blank sheet of paper, it's an open diary, and you get to call the shots. You get to make the choices, you get to plan the day, you get to decide what you do, but very soon it turns out that's not so much freedom because you end up living for your wants and your desires and and you think you're free, but quickly, quickly you realise you are tangled up and you are enslaved all over again. And those things are the things calling the shots. And it might be a different kind of prison, but it's prison nonetheless. A prison where we are trapped by our appetites and our desires. And so Paul, in our passage for this morning, as if he knows what's coming, cuts us off at the chase and deals with our question, what is true freedom? What what definition do we work from? 5 verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly, in love. In many ways, Galatians is a book, a letter all about freedom. But not fleshly, flesh, selfish, self-freedom where I get to do just what I want to do when I want to do it. You, you do you, we say. But rather true freedom, biblical freedom. A better freedom, a real freedom, the freedom to be who you were made to be, the freedom to love the God that you were made to know and to live in relationship with him and with his people, to love that way and to love this way. That is true freedom, says the Bible. Or as Paul puts it, to serve one another humbly in love. You see, it's freedom, but it's redefined freedom. It's not so much about you and what you can get and you at the centre, but rather what you can give. And you see, in Christ, we come through the prison doors. They shut behind us. We're blinking in the sun. We're breathing in the fresh air. 
But the question to ask today is, actually, what does this new life look like? What does it look like to step outside the prison and to look around in this new land? What's it like tomorrow morning? If you look at the week ahead. And if you like, the doors are shut behind us. And so what is non-prison life like for you, for me, for us? And I think what Paul does as we go through, there's a lot in here, but we're just going to carve through sort of two threads. It's a kind of compare and contrast that goes on. And it's as if he's got his hand on our shoulder and he's showing us around this beautiful new land and pointing out the sights to us. And he shows us all kinds of things that we will see. And then he points out some stuff, actually, you won't see these things. They're not here. You notice they were missing. You had them in prison, but you don't get them on the outside. And again and again, we'll bump into the idea that it's not so much the kind of place where, where it's about me and what I can get and me at the center, but outside prison, it's you and how I can serve and what can I give, serving one another humbly in love. So we'll trace those two threads through, but we need to say at the start that in one sense, this is, this is theory. Because you will know as well as me in practice, it's not quite as simple as stepping out of the prison and finding ourselves in a new place and living a brand new, completely different life. We've already rightly made confession of our sins this morning. For the stuff from this past week, this past day, this past hour even. And Paul knows that, and he'll keep coming back to it, but it's as if prison life has got a way of sending out its tentacles and and dragging us back in again, and our hearts and our bodies and our flesh get caught up in the mess of the old ways of doing things. Tangled up with the old life, tangled up with our old selves again. And you see something in that fight there at the beginning, verse 17. You see, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do whatever you want. We'll come back to that. But let's have a look around. We're outside the prison, and what we firstly, what will we not see in the land of the spirit? What will we not see in the land of the spirit? If it's the kind of place where it's not so much about me and what I can get and me at the center, but how I can serve and what I can give, then 5 verse 19 onwards, we shouldn't see the acts of the flesh. Huh. They're obvious, says Paul, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's it's prison again. It's the selfish self on the throne again. And if you just dig a little past the veneer of Oxford respectability... It is everywhere. Everywhere. It's the kind of stuff in so many ways that makes this world so unpleasant, that destroys societies, destroys families, that breaks churches apart, and that devastates our witness. It's there in 15 as well. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. If you eat yourself, it doesn't go well. And there's so much we could say through this list. This is almost 
like 12 sermons in one. But just to unpack some of them, he starts off in verse 19 in the sexual arena, in how we use our bodies. And it's the kind of place where people are used by others simply to, as a means to gain something. They become an object to serve me. It's me at the center again. Or verse 20, it's false worship. It's, it's witchcraft and idolatry. Or again, verse 20, a bit further, it's how you use your mouths. Words are so important. With words, we create. They are so powerful. And they reveal our hearts. They show you what's going on inside. But there's maybe hatred and discord, the moan and the groan and the grumble about others. Or it's the green eyes and the discontent and the jealousy we see of those who have got the things that we want, their, their stuff, their position, their gifts, their family, their looks, their everything. Or it's the rage. It's the rage so when we don't get what we want, out come the words, out come the actions that damage others. Or it's the selfish ambition. That means I'm always looking to climb. Always want to be noticed. And if anyone gets in my way and blocks me, there's a kind of simmering resentment. And maybe we become pretty adept at hiding some of these things. But we know they're there. And if our hearts were on display for all to see, it would be very painful. Paul says, no, 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 no. That's prison. That's prison life. Remember, you're outside now. Look around, it's beautiful, it's free. That's not the way we do things anymore. You, you get to stop that stuff. That doesn't have the same hold on you. It's okay. Remember where you are now. The doors have shut. You're in the land of the Spirit. It doesn't need to be about you. You're free from that slavery. It's brilliant. Your life is not about you anymore. It's about him. It's about them. Huh, just like Jesus. You get to enjoy freedom as he enjoyed freedom. Freedom to humbly serve one another in love. We get to follow him. What else might we not see as we're outside? Have a look around. It's almost like he circles back again. These people who are in it for themselves, jump ahead a bit to chapter 6. 6 verse 3 and 4. If, if anyone who thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Remember, we're in the kind of place where it's not so much about me and what I can get, but you and how I can serve, what I can give. And so gone is the overestimation of self. Gone are the comparisons. Gone is the peacock, chest out, alpha, I'm okay, I'm great, look at me, look at me. Gone is trying to be impressive. In prison, sure, all kinds of posturing and posing and comparing. But the door's shut. We're in the new land now. We don't see that stuff here, not in church. Gone is the culture of league tables. Gone is the eyeing up the competition. Gone is the, the self-deceit of always thinking, I've got this, I'm okay, I'll be fine. Because life isn't so much about me and what I can get, but you and how I can serve, what I can give. And then he almost circles back again in the final paragraph, 6, 12 and 13. He says, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. 
The only reason to do this is they want to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet those who want to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. Again, he's got these false teachers, do you remember from previous weeks, false teachers in his sights. But for them, they are fleshly. They're in prison. It's all about scorekeeping and boasting and being impressive. I don't know, maybe there were league tables they had where they got to brag to each other. How many, uh, how many disciples have you notched up this last month? I'm not sure how you measure those things. I don't want to think about it. But how many have you circumcised this week? Goodness. And in part, they do it to impress. But, but as we saw last week, in part, it's to avoid persecution. Verse 12, maybe this new Christian sect had big kind of question marks all over it. But if you can suggest you're some sort of Jewish outcrop, and look, we still value Abraham, we still value circumcision, we're not that dodgy, then maybe the road is a bit less bumpy and there's a bit less persecution. And those are some of the things that we might see, we might not see, in the land of the Spirit, in church. We ought not see a life that is all about me. That's all about the fleshly flesh. That's all about the selfish self. Or at least we shouldn't, but it's a battle. We'll come on to that. More positively, what will you see in this land of the Spirit? This door shut behind us. It's not so much about me and what I can get, but you and what can I give. What kind of things should we be seeing? Well, you won't be surprised to see love is the top of the list. It was there in verse 13, 5 verse 13. Don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. I guess there's an elephant in the room, and that is that this is profoundly unnatural for us to be those who love. It is profoundly unnatural for for me to be all about you rather than all about me. Will you forgive a preacher's repetition? Um, I don't get a choice, do you? But there we go. David Foster Wallace was an American author. Um, not a believer, sadly no longer with us. I know a number of you are big fans. Um, but basically, I think he describes the flesh. He describes prison life for us. He says this very famously, very honestly. He says, everything in my own immediate experience supports my deep belief that I am the absolute center of the universe, the realist, most vivid and important person in existence. He continues, we rarely talk about this sort of natural, basic self-centeredness because it's so socially repulsive, but it's pretty much the same for all of us. Deep down, it is our default setting, hardwired into our boards at birth. Is that not prison life? When it's about me, I am the very centre. And so it's why it's a battle. It's why Paul will talk of conflict. And yet he says, come out of prison. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's not about you anymore. It's serve one another. It's serve one another humbly in love. And how do we do that, we say? Well, friends, I want to say to you, it is a work of God in us. Let's back up a bit. The Holy Spirit in Galatians has been a beat that we've seen a number of times through the weeks. Um, if you scroll back a few pages, or flick back a few pages, whatever you're looking at, 
Back in chapter 3 at the beginning, verse 2 and 3, the, the Spirit was the evidence of new life. How do you know you are a believer? You have the Spirit, he says. Chapter 4, then, in verse 6, his Spirit in our hearts, because we are united to Christ, and so we are able to cry out with Christ, Abba, Father. We are joined to him by faith, and so we can cry to our Father, Abba, Father. But then in chapter 5, kind of Paul has teased us in 3 and 4, given us just a bit of the outline, and then in chapter 5, he really digs into what it means that the Spirit lives in us. He comes into sharp focus. We've seen it already this morning. There's a battle in 5 verse 16 to 18. It's the contrast of walking by the Spirit or by the flesh. But now in 22 to 25, they're very famous verses. But just listen into what a life indwelt by the Spirit begins to look like. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. Those who have those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now this picture of the Christian life isn't sort of pretending what we're not. It's not kind of nailing on fruit to our lives. Being something very different in public, but by ourselves we know actually what we're like. Now this is God from within growing things in us, changing us, growing his fruit in us. And who is his Holy Spirit making us like? Who does this land of the Spirit, this land of freedom look like? It's Jesus, isn't it? We are being shaped by his Spirit that we might become more like him. For he is the supremely utterly beautifully one who is full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That, that, is, that is Christ-likeness. And it's through his spirit living in us that that fruit begins to grow. And that's what life begins to look like outside prison. I almost missed it in chapter 4. Remember, you get a glimpse of Paul's heart for them in 4 verse 19. You saw something of his love for this church. And remember, he says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. Isn't that striking? Here is how that will happen. How will Christ be formed in them? by his spirit growing his fruit in his people. A couple of things to say. It's worth noting, I think, fruit is singular. It's not fruits of the spirit. It is fruit of the spirit. It is a collective. And I think that matters, because I think it means we can't say, well, I'm pretty good on patience, but uh, below average on joy, or top of the class on faithfulness, but I'm some way behind on love. I think it's a package deal. It's a collective. It's all about Christ-likeness that we're talking about. I think it's worth saying as well that it's easy to get impatient 
ironically as that is a fruit. But it's easy to be impatient, impatient with ourselves, but particularly impatient with those around us. But fruit takes time. I think partly that's why Paul uses the, the image here. It's not an overnight thing. You don't wake up one morning and there's the pineapple. No, it takes time. It's a life of, with Christ in charge, his spirit in you. Patience. And so he lists for us nine different aspects of Christ-likeness. Again, forgive me for skating over them. They're familiar words as well, but consider with me as we just kind of work through quickly how they might translate into your life, but also particularly our context here at Maudlam Road in what's potentially a shaky time. I'm aware of that. Maybe there's opportunity in home groups to think and to pray through some of these as we apply them, not in a sort of abstract sense, but a very real sense to where we are at the moment as a church. Love. Love is me every single time wanting the best for you. Every time. Not standing on my rights, my wants, my desires. But my life is about you. It's your needs, your good, your growth, your maturity. And I think it's first because in a sense the rest just flows from it. It's foundational. At the heart of who our Trinitarian God is, there is love, eternal love. Father loves the Son, loves the Spirit, loves the Father forever, forever. And we have been joined into that in one sense, as we are joined to Christ, as we trust him. And so we have a God who so loved the world. Or we have the Son of God who, who loved us and gave himself for us. Lord and Mary, pray that we would, particularly at this time, continue to grow in love for each other. That kind of other-centered love. A costly, Christ-like love. Joy. How is your joy? Joy is not walking around with a fake grin. Joy is the longer-lasting, less wobbly, even-behind-closed-doors thing. Because we know we are forgiven and we are loved and we are in Christ. And we know we've been given a status and a position that is not earned and can never be taken away. And we know we can rest because we can trust that he is in charge and he is good. And he has got you, whatever that situation, whatever that context. And so even in hard times, even in sadness, there can be joy. Because we know the truth about us. Because we know that we're loved. Peace. Peace is knowing peace with God, Jesus the Prince of Peace, and so sharing peace with others. I think this is vital in our age. We live in a world of, we said before, division, angry polarization, tribes and factions and groups and cancel culture. And, and I wonder whether there's a space for peace being people who calm and unite and include and gather. And it is very countercultural to a very unpeaceful society at the moment. Patience. Patience is they said they wouldn't do it again. And they did. And they let you down again. And in one sense, you have every right to make them feel that. But you know how incredibly patient God is with you. And so you have patience with them. And you do it again, and again, and again.
and kindness. Kindness is love in action. Kindness, I think, is almost a posture of practical love for one another. And that's played out in the little things and the big things. Played out behind the scenes and played out where all can see. Goodness. The goodness word seems to be especially about a generosity. It's it's kind of the uncalled for extra mile. It's the lavishing of love on others. It's the doing and giving, serving more than needed, more than expected. It's making others go, what did you just do there? Why would you be that kind, that good to that person? Faithfulness is trustworthiness. It's not being the flighty or fair-weather friend, but it's sticking around, being steadfast. It's being the kind of friend who's got their back always. Gentleness. Gentleness is deliberately using your power for the good of others. In fact, it's there in 6 verse 1, if you just scroll down, uh, come down a few lines. Um, 6 verse 1, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Don't get angry with them, stuff their face in it. Restore them gently. Self-control means you bite your tongue. Even though you might have every right to, you don't react, you don't say it, you don't lash out. You do stay calm. And that's what it means to live as people who are free. Not cooped up in prison. Not enslaved by our passions and desires and life being all about me, but rather free to be the people we were made to be. By his spirit, free to be like the Lord Jesus, increasingly. Not as the Galatians were being duped into putting up laws and rules and fences. And No, if you're wanting real transformation and real change, then it's God, by his Holy Spirit, living in you and changing you so that Christ is formed in you. But it is a big ask, isn't it? And I describe what that might look like and we think, I'd love to be in a place, I'd love to be like that. Maybe we realise the reality of the battle again or how far we have to go again or maybe you know, as I do so often, we kind of find ourselves tangled up in prison again and doing stuff like we used to. And in one sense, the specific answer for, for you in that situation, for that thing, might be quite complicated and quite nuanced. Life is complicated, we are complicated. But then verses 8 and 9 of chapter 6 Maybe this is something of why we're not where we would like to be. Uh, I'll read from just the end of verse 7, actually. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So he's back in the battle again, but he pivots onto a sort of farming language now. And it's as if Paul says to us, honestly, he looks us in the eyes and says, uh, where are you sowing? The wooden doors are open, you're out of prison, you're into the land of freedom where it's not so much about me and what I can get, but you and how I can serve and what I can give. And Paul says, but are you living like you are 
out of prison. Or really as if you're still behind bars. Because at times, almost deliberately, we can be so attached to our sin, we, we don't kill it, we don't get rid of it, we nurture it, we, we flirt with it, we enjoy it, we get it out of the cupboard and see how it's doing. And, and then we find we've ended up sowing in the wrong place. And rather than the fruit of the Spirit of Jesus, our life begins to resemble well, 5 verse 19 and 20 again. It's the fruit of the flesh, it's the mucky mess of immorality and impurity and debauchery and hatred and discord and jealousy and rage. And Maudlam Road, where are you sowing? Flesh or spirit, in prison or outside? Be honest. In his commentary on the letter, John Stott, I think this is the best paragraph in the commentary, says, very striking. I'm going to read it slowly. I think it's excellent. He says this. He says, Every time we allow our minds to harbour a grudge or nurse a grievance or entertain an impure fantasy or wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to the flesh. Some Christians sow to the flesh every day and wonder why they do not reap holiness. But holiness is a harvest. Whether we reap it or not depends almost entirely on what and where we sow. So maybe the question for us is, have we really killed it? Have we done away with it? Or are there things we just need to get rid of, just get done with? Because you know they keep dragging you back into prison and you're tired of that. You know the things that you're ashamed of. You may, maybe places you go or things you look at or read or people who are unhelpful or patterns of thinking that you just get lost in. You go round and round and you indulge yourself in them. And it's different things for each of us. But it's the same outcome. If you sow to the flesh and you go on doing that, it is inevitable, says Paul, you will reap a harvest. Verse 8. And if that is unchecked, says Paul, it really matters because eventually you will reap destruction. The alternative is sowing to the Spirit. And the outworking of that is eternal life. It's the flip side of sowing to the selfish self. It's, it's living in line with our newfound freedom. I remember ages ago when I was a teenager, I think, I heard this illustration that stuck with me for whatever it is, 20 years, sorry, 30 years, um, it's the story of a witch doctor, uh, and he becomes a Christian through the work of a traveling missionary. And the missionary leaves the village and heads elsewhere, um, and later comes back. And he asks this now Christian ex-witch doctor how they're doing. And the witch doctor says, well, it's, it's as if inside me there is this ferocious battle going on between two roaring lions. They're enormous. They are fighting with each other. And the missionary says, which, which one is winning? And his answer? It's the one that I feed. Morden Road, where are you sowing? What are we feeding? Brothers and sisters, beloved, in Christ, the prison door has shut behind us, and we have extraordinary freedom now. Freedom in the land of the Spirit. Freedom where it's not so much about me and what I can get, but you and how I can serve and what I can give. And so actively and deliberately keep your eyes and your heart fixed on Christ. 
Look to him, follow him, enjoy him, receive him, be shaped by him. Let his spirit grow in you and sow to that spirit. And so enjoy the freedom that he has won for you and stay out of prison. Stop going back. But rather serve one another in loving humility. Just as Jesus does for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us to be a church, help us to be people who, who sow to the spirit and not to the flesh. We thank you for the extraordinary truths we've thought of this morning. Thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ. Thank you that, that freedom is not so much for us and what we get out of it, but rather how we can serve, how we can love. And we pray you'd be at work among us. We pray if there are things that we need to chop off to stop doing, to stop getting tangled up in, then you would help us to do that. And if there are things that we need to, to start doing, places we need to sow that we're not, then you would help us with that. Please be at work, we pray. We long that we might reap a harvest, the right kind of harvest. And we long that the Spirit of the Lord Jesus living in us would bear fruit, that increasingly we might be a church known to be full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That we might be a church known to be those who, who serve one another humbly in love. A church known in our surroundings to be those who, who do good to all people, who have been so gripped by grace, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is shaping us into his likeness. In his, his name we pray. Amen.